Welcome to the Creating Responsible Companies podcast, episode number one. My name is Janet Craig and I'm Barbara Anderson. And Barbara and I are founding partners of a company called Destination Better, where we help companies become more responsible. Over the last several years, Barbara and I have worked together. We both have a history in this industry, working inside other companies. And we've worked from a consulting perspective with some of the world's largest companies. And about a year ago, we started thinking about how we can make a bigger impact. And so we want to talk a little bit about that today on episode one, tell you about how we got here, a little bit about ourselves. And we have a super duper gift for you at the end of it that's going to be really valuable, we think, for you moving forward. And we hope that you're inspired. Welcome to the Creating Responsible Companies podcast, the only podcast that makes corporate social responsibility easy. Now, here are your hosts, Barbara Anderson and Janet Craig. So Barbara, how in the world did we get here to making a podcast? Well, where we are in our company now, Destination Better, is we are on a mission to make the world a better place, one responsible company at a time. And that's both socially and environmentally. And so as we thought about this mission and how we can fulfill this mission and making an impact on the world. Yeah. How kind of we started in careers that had seemingly unrelated paths that turned into something really great and how we discovered and had some kind of aha moments along the way that got us to where we are because we're asked that question a lot. We are. And I think it will help people relate to some of the challenges that maybe they're having as it relates to what the journey that we've been on respectively. Yeah, for sure. So tell us about yours. So I was born upstate New York in this beautiful small little town And I had these great parents. I still have my mom. And they always taught me to believe in myself. And as a result, I've always been driven to meet their expectations. When my family moved to Florida, I was 10 years old. And in high school, I was in leadership roles as treasurer of the student government and president of my service club. And in school, I hung around with kids who I thought were like me. They were the smart kids. At the time, I considered myself one of them, but my grades said otherwise. I think because I spent so much time on relationships and in leadership positions that studying was a second priority. I can tell you that Barbara spends a lot of time (laughs) developing relationships, but it has helped in our client work too. That's right. It's my superpower. Just don't tell my parents that it was a second priority. They've always been so amazing in their belief in me that I really wanted to make them proud. And I went when I went to Florida State University, I wanted to get exceptional grades to demonstrate my appreciation to them for sending me to college. They grew up in the Great Depression and started with very little. So the money they used to send me to college did not come easy to them. They believed not only in the power of education, but they wanted me to have every opportunity in life to succeed. One thing that's always fascinated me is the power of advertising as well as how much money companies spend on it. And I figured that there had to be a way for me to get a job and get some of that money. (laughs) So when I was at FSU on my own, I used to go to the library every week and read a publication called 
advertising age because each publication gave great detail about ad campaigns that companies were running. It explained the reasoning behind the demographics they were trying to reach and the specific words they used and how the two connected to get people to buy their products and services. For example, look at Taco Bell today. They're targeted to young males. And when you look at their ad campaigns, you can see this play out. I've always been really driven to be successful, but honestly, in college, as I look back at my grade point average, it was so low, I'm surprised that I graduated. (laughs) In fact, my GPA was so low that I couldn't even get into my dream advertising program. It was a small program and they only accepted the top few percent of applicants. So I opted for a degree in marketing, which in hindsight, I'm glad that I had the education from the College of Business. I also think back on how few job offers I received when I graduated, when my classmates (laughs) several, I guess because I knew what I could accomplish, but on paper, my grades said otherwise. And because of this, I felt like I had to work really, really hard to prove myself or otherwise I wouldn't be successful and not only be able to provide for myself, but I might disappoint my parents who really tried to get me a leg up in life. So after Florida State, I moved to Texas where the jobs were plentiful, but because of my graduating GPA, I wasn't so lucky and had to pay a recruiting firm to help me find a job. My first job was in marketing for a high-end remodeling company in Dallas, where I learned about how salespeople can sell what customers want, but the construction team can't always really deliver. I went on to work for Hertz Rent-A-Car at Dallas-Fort Worth Airport in operations where at age 24, I had as many as 100 people reporting to me. (laughs) I worked really hard and was recruited away by a competitor, Budget Rent-A-Car, where I managed five small community operations and a local reservation center. I loved getting to really know my team members and went out of my way to foster relationships with them, which proved beneficial for all of us and our sales numbers. I then went into a business partnership to launch an entrepreneurial venture where our company conducted customer service evaluations for businesses across the U.S., including car dealerships, retail operations, and McDonald's. Along with my colleagues, we wrote a book on customer service in business. I then got married and had a daughter and quickly realized that I needed a more routine schedule with health insurance. So I got a job in American Airlines where they actually weren't hiring. So go figure that one out. I was tenacious because I knew in my soul, if I could get my foot in that door in any way, I could be successful. So I started at American Airlines as a provisional or temporary employee with no benefits at $5 an hour. I worked hard and wound up being the first provisional employee to travel outside the U.S. for work, actually to London, where I met my next boss. I started in human resources, and in the third week on the job, my one-year-old daughter had some seizures and went into the hospital, resulting in me having to be out of work for a week. I thought for sure my new career with the airline was over. But because I had quickly developed strong relationships with my new boss and coworkers, they stayed after hours and came in early to cover for me for a week. I'm still in touch with these wonderful people, and I still appreciate them rescuing American Airlines' newest employee who was hired during a hiring freeze. (laughs) Within the airline, I went on to work in international HR in the training department, as an HR partner in the purchasing department, as a recruiter, and in organizational development. It was when I was in consulting in internal organizational development where we partnered with departments to help them improve their relationships 
actually so that they could run efficiently. My boss approached me to say that there was a position for a job in a new department called community relations. I had just received my HR professional certification, so I thought my career was destined in HR, but I thought I'd check it out. Little did I know that this was about to be a turning point in my journey to where I am today. When I walked into the interview, I shook the hiring manager's hand and she immediately said, before we even talked, with your background, you'd be perfect for this position. (laughs) I wish every job had been so easy to get. But seriously, she had heard that I had relationship building skills, which are paramount to being successful in a position in corporate social responsibility. So I started this completely new department called Community Relations, which reported to corporate communications. The position was in Sabre, which was then the technology arm of American Airlines, and was the booking and reservation system used by the majority of airlines in the world. I was charged with figuring out how this community relations function worked. The company knew it should have some kind of corporate giving and volunteering, so I started putting some systems into place for a function primarily focused on its headquarter locations in Texas. This was wide open territory with no framework, no operational plan, no goals, no rules, nothing. The company knew that we should give money to charities and that we had employees who wanted to volunteer. That was as much as we knew. So with some colleagues, we tried some things. We had to create volunteer events from scratch. We put rules into place. We had to be on site to manage the events, work with the nonprofits to develop activities. We were building from absolute scratch. And for our company giving, we gave some money here and there based on who asked and how much of a budget I had. And it was fun. And we were starting to understand what worked and what didn't. But this giving and volunteering thing was seen by senior management as expensive. And they weren't quite sure what the point of it was, other than to be nice to the community. They started asking about what the company was getting in return for all of this. And to be honest, other than building the company's relationship in the community and making employees feel good about volunteering, I really couldn't answer them. So here I am in this new position. Now with my back against the wall to figure out how to make something out of giving and volunteering, I had to create some value so that the company was receiving a benefit and so that management could get behind it. I was now a mom of two little children, and I knew that I had no choice but to step it up so that I could provide for them. I had to figure out a way to make all of this volunteering and money giving add value to the company, or a company's management was going to put a stop to it. Now, keep in mind that this was in the mid-1990s, when very few companies had any sort of programs, much less dedicated staff to manage them. Then I had an epiphany. I was the only person in the company who was responsible for this. No one understood this role, including me. (laughs) I had to find people who did what I was asked to do. I had to learn about this giving and volunteering thing from others who could explain to me how their company managed their programs and delivered beneficial value. So I got to work and figured out a plan. I found organizations like the Boston College Center for Corporate Citizenship, BSR, which is Business for Social Responsibility, and other organizations who offered training and each had an annual conference. So I went to my boss to ask for funding to send me to be with people who did what I did. Fortunately, she increased my professional development budget. And this was the beginning of many years of continuous learning. 
It turned out that I wasn't the only one who was in my situation. And as I started learning in the mid-1990s, I realized that I was on the forefront of a huge shift in business. So off I went to be around my peeps. And my, oh my, what a revelation. When I got to events, I felt like I was home. Finally, someone not only understood what I did, they knew how to do it. So I jumped in like a sponge to learn everything I could. I returned to my company informed and inspired. I started implementing initiatives that made sense and that used the company's money in a way that added value back to the business. I was so enlightened. And then I realized something. These other companies had bigger budgets and bigger teams, and they were doing really big things. In my competitive nature and my quest to be respected professionally, I felt like I wasn't doing as big of things. Their work seemed so cool and so far-reaching. I had to figure out how they did this. I found out that my colleagues had more support from their management. It was then that I realized that my leaders didn't understand what I did. Why? Because I didn't educate them. While I was on this fast path to ramp up my personal knowledge and apply it to the business, I failed to bring them along. How did I expect them to be as excited about what we were accomplishing if I didn't tell them? I'd always been the person who wanted to achieve things on my own, and I'd enjoyed such a solid reputation professionally that I thought that my leaders should trust that I knew what I was doing. And maybe they did. But in hindsight, I was missing a huge opportunity. If I didn't bring them along this journey, that started as giving and volunteering and turned into a key component of our company's strategy, how could I truly make progress? This was a huge learning moment for me that I had to have leadership support or I could not do my job. I even had a leader say that I didn't ask him for help when he had really wanted to engage. And this was the beginning of a decade of continually educating my leadership of bringing them along this rapidly changing field. And from that point forward, I have been a huge champion of educating leaders. I went on to serve on numerous committees and boards with Boston College Center for Corporate Citizenship. I taught a class on corporate citizenship in the 21st century and was invited to be a speaker at a number of events about our successful programs. Our programs at Sabre became one of the most respected components of the company. It was very visible. Our work in what became global corporate responsibility grew to engage our 10,000 employees in 42 countries. Our work was not only one of the top reasons touted for joining the company, but our little team had a bigger impact on the positive culture of the company than anything else the company was doing. These experiences led me to continue to learn. After 15 years in this best job in the company, I left Sabre to help my parents back in Florida. I've become a lifelong learner who always wants to be on top of the best practices, which today have exploded from where I began. I'm so passionate about this work that I went back to college to get my master's in global sustainability, and that's where Janet and I met. I know this was long, but I hope that this story explains my passion for this space and my vision for taking what I've learned and sharing it to help others accelerate their progress. Leaders, corporate social responsibility professionals, and everyday superheroes shouldn't have to figure it out on their own. They should be able to leverage from the lessons of those who went before them. And when I think about the reach that our podcast can have, I'm completely 
overwhelmed and totally energized to make it happen. Barbara, your history is amazing. We have so many things to talk about in this podcast, so many things that you've worked on and human trafficking and responding in crisis moments and just in your paradox moment, which we'll talk about it in a podcast right. at one time, that it's just, it's so hard to, and I know that you said that you thought it was long. It's really hard to encapsulate the work that you've done into a few short minutes, but I hope that our readers or our listeners will readers and listeners, <laughs> I <laughs> guess, will find it and see the career path they want to take. They may take some paths here and there that yours kind of came together. Yes. And they also will have bumps in the road and can get past those. And that's why we're going to provide some tools for them so that they can get on a study course and stay on it and uh, learn from people like you. So Janet, you've got a great background and yours is different than mine, which makes us such a great team. So it is. Tell us. Sometimes I think that we're the left brain, right brain. And that's <laughs> what makes us a, a great partnership. That's right. So many times, I know you get this question so many times we get asked, like, how did you get here? How did yeah, y'all have such a cool company and a cool job? And, and I want to say every time that somebody says you have a cool job, it doesn't matter if it's my job or your job or Beyonce's job. If they say cool, it's not easy. Yeah, and it is mm -hmm. not going to be something easy. So that's the first thing I think about. And the second th thing that I think about is when they say, how did how did you get here? I'm like, how much time do you have? <laughs> so we're going to try and make it as fast as possible. So in college, I studied finance mm -hmm. only because my parents didn't think it'd be really great if I went to sing and dance on Broadway, <laughs> which was <laughs> my number one. And they're like, yeah, I don't think so. So I've always loved numbers and I've always loved patterns and finance and processes and things like that. And so that's what I ended up studying. And I always want to know like the backstory on things. Like if I buy something or if a company all of a sudden pops up in in my view, like how do they get there? What's their story? And just kind of how those things developed. And this is coming from a person you know, whose dad, if he had had his way, I would have been born on our boat and not in a hospital because we spent a lot of time fishing when I was growing up. I know that you had a lot of time up in upstate New York and your beautiful mm. city and town that you grew up in. But while Barbara was doing work in high school with all the cool kids, I was probably fishing. That's, that's where I spent most of my time. People are like, I don't remember you in high school. I'm like, it's probably because I was on a boat. But um, it undoubtedly influenced where I am today. I learned how to work on a team. I learned everybody has a job. I learned how to deal in crisis when you have medical emergencies on a boat. You have weather that picks up on a boat and that you have to figure out problems very, very quickly. So it gave me definitely a true appreciation for our natural environment, especially here where we're based in, in Florida and in, in the St. Pete area. And I studied finance after fishing pretty much my whole life, graduated, decided I didn't want to work at a bank. And I ended up working in a really cool place. Believe it or not, this is, sounds really boring, commercial printing. It was so cool. There were so many numbers that I had to crunch every day, press sheets going through presses and inks. And there was environmental stuff that I had to take care of. And the social side, I had about 50 employees making sure that they were safe and healthy and all of those things. And so I was there for almost 20 years, managed a lot of groups of creative 
people that worked on publications and advertising. And we just had, we just did really cool stuff. But I had to leave my company because of a divorce. And it was really sad when I had to leave. And I thought, there's no way I will ever find my way outside of this little family that was my family for almost two decades. And um, so off I went and I had two little boys. And uh, for some reason, I walked into Apple one day and I thought, this would be a really cool place to work. I didn't know anything about computers, but I knew that Mac products or Apple products had, my entire company had based on them. So I went to work at Apple and iPods were super duper hot and people were coming in the store with their iPods to return them when they were gonna get a new one. And they were questioning, where do our electronics go? Just like people would question like, where does that ink go when you're done with it? And it's when I first got the thought in my mind that consumers care and that consumers really do care about the environmental and social impacts of the things that they're buying. And this was in the early 2000s. You were well into your career at that point. But it was something that I thought here, I thought that I was in this kind of like, um, you know, random job that had nothing to do with printing. And sure, they were totally different industries, but the outcomes were the same. And that is, there is environmental and social impacts in both of them. And in the retail environment, though, when people are asking questions, you've got to answer. So I just kind of became increasingly curious about this. And then me with my number brain, I really wanted to know more about it to companies um, that are sustainably kind of focused in that environmental social. Do, do they outperform those who don't? Are they better? What do they do in there? You have an ad, advertising and marketing background. I worked in that industry for a long time. Um, I was super curious about it. Then I got an opportunity to work for Xerox and it was in sales. I had a huge public sector territory. I had a great relationship with Xerox in printing and I jumped at the chance and everybody, you know, in sales at Xerox training is like super serious. Like it's super serious. Like dun, dun, dun. it is, it is like super serious. And, um, but they teach you things that you're going to learn for life. It's not like, People go, I'll never use this algebra again. I will use Xerox training every single day for the rest of my life. It completely changed my life. So some everybody in sales one day got handed this sales deck, like a PowerPoint deck. And, and we're all like, oh God, it's another technical document we're gonna have to learn. And we have to deliver to you know my boss and my boss's boss. And then we found out that somebody from the executive leadership was coming down to watch these presentations. And I just thought, oh gosh, please, I don't want to talk about impressions per minute, you know? So I get handed this PowerPoint, tell was told that I was going to be presenting to all these people. And I was like, oh God, can't wait to see this one. Well, I had no idea that day completely changed the trajectory of my life, 100%. I remember opening this document and I'm like, oh my gosh, everything just came together. Printing, finance, Apple, environment, social, manufacturing. I literally was jumping up and down in the office and people are looking at me like I'm completely nuts. And it was because the document wasn't some boring technical thing. It was because we had to learn and present Xerox's sustainability story to those executives. Yep. Putting you on the line there. Putting us on the line. Salespeople. Because what better people to to share that story? So uh, the people that I worked with, they probably spent like 10 minutes before they went in to give their presentation to give it right. I spent two weeks. <laughs> 
<laughs> I spent two weeks researching, making sure I was going to deliver it right, looking at Xerox's manufacturing process and what happened at Palo Alto Research Center Park, which everybody should follow because they do the coolest things out there. And like just the water filtration and and how um, how they were generating toners that were better for people to breathe in when they were making lots of copies in their office. And it was just amazing. And I literally was just in heaven. And I got data. I got story. I, got to, I even presented it to my kids. I wanted to make sure that they understood. <laughs> and what was their re- reaction? And these, they were preteens at the time. They totally got it. They were really super excited. So anyway, the day comes. I walk in this room. Here's my manager, a few other managers, this awesome executive who I just adored. And we ended up having a great relationship. I get my presentation. They sit completely stone-faced through it. And I'm like, oh gosh, I just totally bombed that. And at the end of it, they just like all sat there stunned like, oh my God, what just happened? Like this chick really (laughs) knows her stuff. It was because it was the easiest thing I'd ever done. I knew at that point, we talk about superpowers. I knew, I mean, I had hit my stride like a horse in a horse race, man, I was gone. So I ended up using that tool to open a lot of doors for me in sales and in the state of Florida when I was with Xerox. So I talked to a lot of sustainability directors that were heads of companies, universities, state and local governments. And the more that I talked to them, the more that I knew that I just had to figure out how I could get a full-time job in this uh, in this industry. So I just happened to be at a business lunch for a, a board that I was on because I had was doing some work in sustainability and business and I'd served on this board. I recently dropped off. I was on it for nine years, gosh. And this guy sits next to me from a small sustainability consulting firm. He's like, hi, I'm John. I'm with XYZ Company. My eyes were like, whoa, because I'd researched this company and I thought I could never work there. Like they would never hire me. And I just looked at him, I'm like, hi, I'm Janet. You should hire me. And I had a job in a week. Go girl. I know, man. So I started learning about greenhouse gas inventories, presenting technical information to non-technical audiences and seeing their little light bulb moments and all that good stuff. Continue to research trends, learned how to do everything that I, not everything, but learned to do a lot of things that I just, I didn't know. I knew the concepts and the processes. I knew that the numbers worked. The numbers work for a bunch of engineers at Xerox, and they knew that it made their company more profitable. I figured it could be applied to everybody else, right? Anyway, worked there for a while. And one day, I got a referral opportunity to write a, the first corporate sustainability report for one of the largest landowners in the US. It's a publicly held company. But a person who led the parent company that owned the firm where I was working questioned my ability to do the job. And... At first I was offended, but like you, I realized that the reason is that he just didn't understand the value of it. He didn't understand the value of CSR. The CEO of the company that needed the report understood the value, but it's a continual process to educate executives, especially those that were in business school in the eighties. That's what we learned. Things that you and I are talking about, Barbara, don't show up on financial statements until it's too late. So I ended up winning the job. I worked with that company's leadership team. We interviewed engineers all over the country. That was a hoot. And I wrote the report. It ended up winning uh, some Addy Awards for the company that I work with that actually designed the report. And it was amazing. They loved it so much that they printed one for every one of the employees, all of their customers, everybody in their supply chain. It was incredible. So I'm like, all right, I got to get out of here. I got to start my own company. (laughs) 
I have to do this. I'm just going to keep writing these award-winning reports. And like, it's just going to be great, like flipping on a switch. But the reality is that not all the CEOs that I spoke with about that I worked with in my company really just innately took that on. And it was kind of an uphill battle, but I was uh, working hard, had my own company and writing CDP reports and doing all kinds of cool stuff inside companies, putting teams together actually talking to companies about the fact that they could, if they wanted, save money on their energy. (laughs) What a concept. What a concept, right? (laughs) You just don't have to write that check all the time like that. You can save some money. And I was mentoring a group of students who were studying sustainability. That was part of my pro bono give back is I did this program for three years where I would take groups of students from different universities inside our Tampa Bay area and give them real world sustainability experience at real companies so that they could take that experience, put on their resume and go and get jobs. And, you know, we're going to have some of those students who are now working in great positions on our show in the future. But I was there and I was at one of the universities giving a talk. And afterwards, Barbara comes up to me and she says, hi, She sticks out her hand. Hi, I'm Barbara. We speak the same language. And I was like, I'm not alone anymore. Like there's somebody else here that is, I'm not alone. I can't believe it. So Barbara and I started working together within the year and we've done some really cool stuff in the last few years. So I started the company in, in, uh, I guess it's six years old now. So about a year ago, Barbara and I were thinking we've done this really great work. We had stopped, you know, everybody kind of stops at the end of the year and they're like, how did we do this year? We thought, well, we did really well. You know, our company does better and better every year. But like, what are we really doing? Are we really pushing the needle? How can we do better? So we're big fans of John Lee Dumas. JLD. Boom, shake the room. (laughs) And we went through his program called three hours to your big idea and barbara and i did it separately and i think that we were both kind of like oh i wonder if we're going to come up with the same thing what happens if we don't come up with the same thing oh my god what are we going to do right so we have the big reveal day big reveal day comes and it ends up that barbara and i although we came from two very different backgrounds barbara is very relationship and community and focused. And I am, I just want the numbers to work. I want to look at trends. I want to take all these crazy disparate pieces of information and make them make sense. And we came to the exact same place. And that is that the only way that we are going to move the needle is if we start sharing what we're doing with the world. And we're going to do that through a podcast. That's right. And so we continue to work with clients one-on-one. We continue to mentor students. We continue to mentor CSR professionals that are in their jobs because let me tell you folks, sometimes when you're the only one or you have a really small team, it's frustrating sometimes and it's lonely. So we continue to do that work and we love it, but we are ready to just show people what this is, make it easy for them and so that they can go and change the world and make their businesses and their organizations more responsible and really feel like that we can just make the world a better place, which is why our company is called Destination Better. That's right. And our podcast is called Creating Responsible Companies. 
So I enjoyed your story, and and it's been so interesting as we both documented this and how we came to where we are today. And and it's one of those things, and we do call it a superpower because it's something that we inherently enjoy and love and keep up with and are continually looking at best practices and how companies can use these best practices. And, and a lot of what we do is technical and policy development, presentations for boards of directors and all across strategy development, goal development. But what really gets the job done, as you and I both found, is relationships and processes and starting from A and going to Z. And as I learned so abruptly that I had to have leadership support. And I think that's for corporate social responsibility professionals now is one of the hardest things is to get that support because you continually have to educate them about the return on investment of what they're doing, unlike any other function in the company, right, Janet? <laughs> it is, it is. But now um, every single day, it seems like um, uh, institutional investors understand that value. They are talking to their publicly held companies about how to um, how to reflect that value through information that's not found on financial statements. So that's important, um, but they're doing it in a really positive way. And I think that, um, like you said, relationships are so important. I think that new kind of investor um, company, publicly held company relationship is something that 10 years ago, people would have said, that's not gonna happen. You know, I, I don't need to talk to my investor as long as I've got this, that, and they're happy and I've got my returns, I'm good. But a lot of what you and I are talking about and what we'll talk about in this podcast again. By telling their story, it has so many benefits. Of course, you have to have a story and track it and and document and be transparent by sharing information. But the, to attract and retain key talent, especially the millennials and Generation Zs, which we'll talk about in our next episode, they... I want to work at a company that aligns with their values and they won't work somewhere where they can't tell their friends, this is the company I work for. This is why they're good. And this is why I'm proud of them. And so it's really key for that. And also the older generations as well. So yeah, so each episode, we're going to provide tools and resources and and uh, make this easy for companies. And in the next episode, we've got the five major trends that we see that have brought corporate social responsibility to where it is today. It's part of a two-part series. And then the next episode after that, number three, Janet, is, is talking about all of the headlines and facts and data that shows that how corporate social responsibility is ingrained in business today. And, and you know, that's going to be my favorite show. I know. <laughs> it is. It's number time, folks. That's right. This is stuff you can't argue with. You definitely can't argue with it. So yeah, we're super excited. We are excited. So, so what should they do um, if they want to continue to listen? And where are they going to find our information? So we're going to be on probably the easiest places on our website, destinationbetter.com altogether. And uh, slash one will be the URL for this episode where they can download the tool about identifying their superpowers. We are also on four different channels, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. And in addition to that, we're on the social media channels, 
Facebook. We have a Facebook group, which we'd love to have folks join and be amongst like-minded people. We'll talk about that in a future episode. Also on Instagram and on YouTube. So the video of this, if one's so inclined to watch it, can be on there, which will be nice when we have future tools that we can actually show during the episode. Awesome. Well, I look forward to doing this with you and going on this awesome, incredible journey. If it could be better than the journey that you and I have been on the past, however long it's been, I think it's it's going to be great. I'm super excited. Yep. And all the people we've met along this journey who are inspired and want to do something, but don't really have the tangible way to know how, we're really excited. And our goal is to equip, empower, and encourage corporate social responsibility professionals, leaders, and everyday superheroes, people who want to make some kind of social or environmental impact in their company, but maybe don't know where to start or how to do it. So we're going to walk you through that. Thank you for listening to the Creating Responsible Companies podcast. Find tools and additional episodes on our website, destinationbetter.com. If there's a topic you'd like us to cover, leave a voice message on our contact page. Don't worry, Barbara and Janet aren't millennials. They actually listen to voicemails. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram.